Jesus is praying in the shadow of the cross. Next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Well, hey, happy Thanksgiving from Pastor Ed Taylor, his wife Marie, and all of us here at Abounding Grace. Today we'll be wrapping up a sub-series on prayer in John chapter 17 with a cross-reference of Matthew 26. Together, we'll consider Jesus' time in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. As you'll see in a moment, it was a prayer of submission and yielding. Jesus is now just a few short hours from a painful, humiliating death on a Roman cross, and knowing this is on the horizon, he would take time out to pray. Let's hear all about it as we join Pastor Ed. He comes in to Gethsemane, the olive press. We'll also visit Gethsemane. It's a big church that's so crowded, and there's some older olive trees that are there, and they're fenced off. And they're really interesting to see. They're 1,000, 1,500 years old. They weren't there at the time of Christ, but they're very old. And you'll be able to see them, but that's not the entirety of the place. Most tours just do that big place by the church where it's crowded and loud and and you just walk through. After you walk through that and see whatever you want to see, we're going to take you across the street to a private garden. It's locked. We have to get somebody to open it up for us. We prepare it ahead of time. We rent it. And we're in there with just a few other groups. And we'll do a little Bible study there. And we'll do some worship in there. And one of the sweetest spots on the tour is we'll then release you into this private garden and you'll have some alone time with the Lord. Very quiet. It's so different from across the street. And I'll point that out to everyone while we're there. So different. So loud. The buses are honking. It's so crowded. You got to watch all your stuff so you don't get pickpocketed. I mean, it, it's just like the life of Jesus. Jesus lived in real life. Like, there was crowded streets. And there were people pressing in on him. And everybody doing business. And they don't care about God. It's very similar. And he will take you into that quiet garden with large walls. And although you can still hear some of the stuff, the noise level goes so down. And most everyone that goes with us say that is one of the highlights. And it's nothing, it's nothing but a private garden with a bunch of trees in it. But you get that personal time where you can share your heart with the Lord right in the area there of the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. Jesus comes into a private place. We know that he visited here often. This was a normal thing for him. And he tells the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So he leaves eight of the disciples by the gate. And then he takes, verse 37, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, which are Peter, James, and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Verse 38, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So his first prayer, he tells the the three with him, would you stay here and watch, which is another way of saying pray. Watch and stay here and pray. I'm going to go pray. I want you to stay here and pray. Watch and pray. And notice that his emotions are inflamed here in, in Gethsemane. Jesus becomes, according to the word in verse 37, sorrowful and deeply distressed, 
And then from his own lips, talking to the Father, he says, I'm exceedingly sorrowful. If you're looking for the picture of a real man, if you're looking to identify as a real man and what the model of a real man is, Jesus Christ is the most perfect example in all that he did, both strong and meek, both competent and also emotional. It's very different than the message that's going through in our culture today, trying to mix up genders and trying to mix up identities. And and the kids today don't even know their identity. They don't know where they come from unless their parents teach them. And now kids are being taught, just choose whatever identity you want. It doesn't really matter. And so those young men that are more emotional are being pushed more to a feminine side. But let me tell you something. God in human flesh, perfect man, was emotional, exceedingly sorrowful. He cried. I mean, kids today, at such a young age, boys are t- taught today, you know, you got your, little, your young little boy, he's riding his bike, and you want him to learn how to ride his bike, but he keeps falling off, and the last one he falls off, he skins his knee, blood's going down, and he's crying. And if you're not careful, Dad, you might come to him and say, hey, hey, well, hold on, son, big boys don't. Jesus did. He didn't just cry. He wept uncontrollably, grieving the loss of his friend Lazarus. You see, God has has made us individually and uniquely and given to us our, our physical identity at birth and our spiritual identity when we're born again. And it's okay for gals to cry. It's okay for guys to cry. It's okay for gals to be emotional. It's okay for guys to be emotional. Jesus here is deeply emotional, deeply, and yet still fully a man, no question whatsoever. And he's looking to the cross, and he's concerned about the wrath of God that's about to come on. Don't misunderstand this prayer. Jesus is not afraid of death, and he's not afraid of facing death. He is looking to the cross and understanding that the wrath of God, his own wrath will be put upon him in order to forgive you and me of sin. He's somehow in the unity of the Trinity. We're not told. It's still mysterious. But in the unity of tri- in the Trinity, at that moment where the wrath of God is poured upon the Son, there's a separation of some sort, a distance that Jesus was willing to go through for you and me. And it's messing, you know, it's really pricking the emotions in his heart. And he's emotional sinlessly. Listen, when you're raising your kids and you're raising your grandkids, your cousins and such, give them the identities that the Lord has given them in his word. And be careful not to pick up on the nonsense of the world and try to craft and mold your kids into something that God never intended them. It's it's going to become more and more and the identities that God has given to us are found in the word. And Jesus, he's facing the worst of the worst and yet he is praying. He is praying. And he's emotional. Now, notice. Pick up with me in verse 39. He went a little farther, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You might want to underline that because it's true in your life and in mine. 
The Spirit so often wants to soar with the Lord and do great things, but our flesh is so weak. But you control part of that, church. You control whether your spirit's going to be stronger or your flesh is going to be stronger. You control it by what you listen to. I control it by what I watch. I control it by how I feed my flesh or I feed my spirit. If you think 90 minutes in a church building is going to sustain you for the rest of the week, you're wrong. It's a great, man, we need to obey the Lord and we need to come together and worship. And if this is all that you do, please don't stop. But I'm telling you, if this is all that you do, your week is pretty fleshly. And I don't even follow you or walk with you. I don't live with you. I'm not in your house. But if it's just a little Bible study that you're doing, and, and it's good, it's better than nothing. But if this is all you're doing, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident you're a fleshly person all week if you're not doing your devotions regularly, if you're not praying without ceasing regularly, if you're not seeking out wisdom from God every day for the situations in life, if you're not sharing the gospel with people and telling them about the love of God, you're going to be a pretty fleshly person. And what I mean, what the Bible means by flesh being weak is that you're going to live just like you're not a believer. Which is pretty sad. And I think we all go through seasons. I certainly do. I'm certain that if you caught me on certain days or at certain circumstances, you'd like, what? What, Ed? Ed, is that Pastor Ed? Is that Pastor Ed arguing with Marie? I'm trying to convince her I'm right, you know? Come on. But we argue in our marriage, and, you know, we go through stuff just like you do. Every, all of us do. There's no difference between us. And, and so what, the way that I'm going to learn how to love my wife more is by building up my spirit and not responding in the flesh. I mean, I can go with example after example, but this is true for all of us. And even physically, we need rest. God has given us the pattern, six days of work, one day of rest. We have to truly rest because then we won't be tired. Notice verse 42. He went away again a second time and prayed, Oh, my father, if this cup can't pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away and prayed the third time saying the same words. And he came back again and they are still sleeping and resting. Behold, verse 45, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. Jesus is praying. The disciples are sleeping. Why? Because their flesh is weak. Their spirit's willing. And verse 43, I love how the Bible is just so simple. Why were they sleeping? Because they were tired. They were tired. And that's what you and I do when we're tired. We sleep. It's always wise not to pray on your back with your head on a pillow, eyes closed at 10 p.m. Because you're going to start out, oh, Father, I love you so much. And then you wake up in the morning and go, man, that was a great prayer. No, bro, you fell asleep, man. You said three things and you're dumb. Marie and I have often done that where one of us have fallen asleep in prayer. And then there's that little Christian squeeze when you're done, you know. You do that little squeeze and you whoa, whoa, what happened? I'm done. Oh, yeah, well, I was praying in my sleep, man. I was dreaming. Dream praying. We get tired. We get tired of life. We get tired of circumstances. We get physically tired, emotionally tired, spiritually tired. And you can see, it's more than some rule and regulation to follow. Our life with Jesus Christ is a relationship. And relationships are built on communication, time, and testing. And the communication piece the Bible calls prayer. 
And it's always good to pray with your eyes open. I, I, I have tried to adopt, I'm not perfect in this, but I've tried to adopt praying on my knees because that is one of the most uncomfortable ways to pray. I mean, it's painful. You go down on your knees and then you're there and I got old knees and I got injuries and then my feet are all messed up and so I got to move and I got to keep moving and it's, you keep awake <laughs> and you're kind of moving around instead of laying on your back resting covers up on top of you and you're toast if you do that i'm just you're toast you've already had a long day you're toast it's over but then when you're praying in the car and you're praying at work and you're praying uh, all day all the time just kind of flowing through your life the lord blesses that and you become stronger and you become wiser And the Lord, he's praying and he's wrestling with the cup, the wrath of God. He's wrestling with the reality of what's going to happen. He's wrestling and he's submitting. See, far from a prayer of fear, Jesus is praying a prayer of yielding. Not my will be done, but your will. If there's any other way, well, the Bible is clear. There is no other way that your sins can be forgiven except the perfect Savior die for your sins. There's no other way. And so I'm grateful that Jesus, as he's praying, he says, hey, if there's any other way, but never, not, nevertheless, in the old King James, nevertheless, your will be done. That's... That's what it sounds like when we learn back in Matthew 6 to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. This is what it sounds like. Facing with something difficult and hard. This is submission. This is a prayer of submission. In John 17, he was requesting and interceding and praying for us, praying for the disciples, praying for himself, praying for the future. Now he's praying himself into submission. Submission and yielding. And there are all those times when we need to bear our soul and pray ourselves into submission and yielding because we are not perfect like Jesus. He's the model for us because when we pray for yielding and submission, most likely it's because we've been rebelling. When Jesus prays for yielding and submission, it's part of his nature. It comes naturally without any sin whatsoever. It says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders. The betrayer had given them a sign. Now it's not his name anymore. It's not Judas. He's the betrayer. And saying, whoever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And notice Jesus' response, friend, why have you come? To the very end, friend. Friend, why have you come? You know, back in verse 24, before we leave, we have a a beautiful example of both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Go back with me to verse 24, just so you can see this, because there's such a debate about this in the body of Christ today. There's such an arguing over it, and it doesn't need to. The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God, and the Bible teaches the free will of man. You see it both in one verse right here. Notice, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. That's the sovereignty of God. It was predicted that Judas would be a betrayer. It was already prophesied. It's going to come to pass. Woe to that man, Jesus says, to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not even been born. And Judas, in verse 25, said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, you have said it. In, 
In this verse, you see the sovereignty of God. It was written ahead of time. From the point of view of heaven, we see the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the power of God. Judas' wicked deed was predicted in the scriptures and a fully a part of the plan of God. And yet we also see the free will of Judas, that he makes up his own mind and he was personally guilty for his horrible crime and 100% responsible for his personal decision. And there's this tension continually in the scriptures between the sovereignty of God because he is sovereign and the providence of God because he does have a plan. And the free will of man, because we do have a free will choice. And when Adam was in the garden, he made a deliberate free will choice to disobey God and paid the price for it and was held 100% responsible. And there's that tension because we go, well, how is that possible? I don't, I don't understand it. How can God both be sovereign and yet man still have free choice? And you say, Ed, what's the answer? And I would say to you, I don't know. The Bible doesn't explain it to us. The Bible just shows us. He'll show us. God will show us on one page his glorious sovereignty. Then we'll turn the page and we'll see a free will decision of man. And then on another page we'll see God holding us accountable for our decisions. But he never tries to explain this is how it works. Now, when those that like to argue these things, this is the danger that happens. They will fall too far on one side. So on the sovereignty and providence side... People will now try to explain the tension away by a doctrine known as Calvinism. And so they become Calvinists because that just, then they'll just emphasize and overemphasize the sovereignty of God to the point where they won't give man any free will decision. It's all, everything is all God's fault. But sin is not God's fault. On the other side, the emphasis on free will of man is a system of doctrine by another man by the name of Arminius. His, his doctrine is Arminianism. And they emphasize, that doctrine can emphasize to an extreme, so much so that there's free will of man starts to diminish the sovereignty of God. And both extremes are not what we hold to. We hold to what the Bible says. And the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God, and the Bible teaches the free will of man, and never seeks to explain the gap between the two. Instead, God says, believe what my word says. You're responsible and I'm sovereign. Trust me. And how careful we need to be from all sorts of extremes. But instead, let the Bible speak what it says. And here's Judas, because in verse 50, this is where I want to end. In verse 50, Jesus looks at Judas and says, friend. Now, Jesus knows what's going on, but he still extends to Judas this opportunity. He still calls him a friend. I think that this is an opportunity in real time for repentance. You go, wait a minute, Ed, I know Judas betrayed, but understand this. The only reason we know Judas betrayed Jesus, the only reason we know he's the prophesied one, the only reason we know that is because of reading the Bible in the past tense. The Bible records something that already happened. If you're living in the present tense with the Lord and he extends his hand to you and says, friend, and invites you into relationship, he means it. And perhaps, again, we live in the realm of perhaps, if Judas would have repented, there would have been, we would have learned of another ordained person that was the betrayer. Now, of course, back at the table, we see it all unfold. There's the betrayer and Jesus knows that. But perhaps verse 50 is an opportunity for repentance. And then Judas would make another mistake down the road. We don't know for sure, but I do know this. I do know this. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, after this prayer, 
after his burial and resurrection, he extends to you his hand and says, friend, you might be a deep betrayer of God today. You might be someone that has, wants nothing to do with God. You might be someone that's already decided, I'm not following God, I don't want my parents' faith, I don't want anything. To, and you, there you are. And God is here in this church and here by technology extending his hand to you and saying, friend, why are you here? And I hope that you would answer that question. You'd say, you know, I know why, how I walked into that room. I know how I clicked on that video file. I know how I started, but now at the end, I'm here because I need to be made right. My life needs to be right with God. Jesus, when he's praying, he's praying for submission so that your sins might be forgiven and mine. He's praying, acknowledging that submission to the Father, saying, God, I'm, Father, I'm, I'm going to go. If this, it can be any other way, but since I know there's no other way, your will be done. I'm here to do your will. The more you pray, the more you do God's will. The more you pray, the more you do God's will. And Jesus was a man of prayer, and the Bible says that he always did what pleases the Father. So as we pray, consider where you are before God right now. Consider where your life is. And if your life isn't right with God, today is the day to do it. Today is the day of salvation. God, we ask that you would just make this little survey come alive in our hearts. Make it come alive in our lives. Even the little message about discipling our kids, God, we need help. We want to raise our kids to love you and serve you. And they don't have to go the route that we went. Uh, whatever route that might be. And we want to be made right with you, God. We want to walk in wisdom. We want to live for you. We want to submit ourselves to you. We want to find ourselves in a place of great joy and happiness as you lead us and guide us, speak to us. We don't want to grieve you, Holy Spirit. We, We don't want to quench you, Holy Spirit. We want to cooperate and follow you all the days of our lives. Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of John's gospel right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app and podcast. Our pick of the month is Five Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. As Christians, we sometimes encounter objections about the Bible, and maybe you're left wondering how to answer them, or where do you look? Well, this wonderful book offers you 365 quick answers to key questions. I think you'll find it super helpful the next time you come across a question where you're not sure how to answer, and we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. And we want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses. That's our prayer and our heart's desire. And if you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we'd sure appreciate it. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, here we are on Thanksgiving Day, and so I thought I'd hand the mic over to you so you could share what's on your heart. What comes to your mind when you think of Thanksgiving Day? Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and what a blessing it is for those of you still listening uh, today on Abounding Grace. I know it is a day off for most, but not all, and I just want to extend a real 
strong, happy Thanksgiving from my family, Marie and I, the kids and the fellowship family here at Calvary Church. What comes to mind with Thanksgiving is truly a heart of thanks. I was reminded of this passage uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 23, as he addresses God. He says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and might, and you've made known to me what we've asked of you, for we, you have made known to us the king's demand. It was just a special time in Daniel's life of thanksgiving, and I think we all have them. I certainly do, whether it's for my family, for you know the time that I had with my son Eddie, for my kids, for my church family, for my salvation. So just take a moment today, uh, offer up a, a hearty thanksgiving to God. He is faithful, and there's so much to be thankful for. Again, happy Thanksgiving on behalf of our family and the church family here. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Abounding Grace. We hope you have a beautiful time of celebration with family or friends, and we'll catch you back here tomorrow when we'll open John chapter 18 with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.